This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I interviewed Kim, who had a very long and complex journey to having a baby. And just after we recorded this episode, she travelled to the Ukraine to meet her baby girl. I haven't had anyone on the podcast who has travelled to the Ukraine. The processes and the laws for surrogacy and uh, gamete donation are very different from Australia. For example, in Ukraine, you can often have a donor and a surrogate who are reasonably unknown to you, even at the point of birth. Now, Kim had a really different journey from that, and she'll tell you all about it, but I wanted to make note of the fact that um, certainly it's very different from the Australian practices, and uh, there's some reflections in there about that. I have put up some links on the page about uh, egg donation within Australia and best practice egg donation and surrogacy if you'd like to read more. You can also head to the VARTA website, which is at varta.org.au. My name is Kim and uh, my husband and I are pursuing surrogacy through the Ukraine. So tell me, what brought you to surrogacy? So my husband and I have had a pretty rough infertility journey, um, you know, all the way back to our first, before we even did our first IVF cycle, I took the downreg drugs and it actually gave me a minor stroke. So we didn't actually end up doing the first cycle because it put me in hospital for 45 days. So I had significant memory loss and stuff from that because apparently you can be allergic to estrogen. Um, so that was I have never heard of that happening. So what does that mean for somebody wanting to do IVF? Were you able to then go on and do IVF? Yeah, but you can't take the chemical form of estrogen, but you can take more of a natural type form of estrogen to be able to do IVF. So we did actually go on to do several other, other cycles, maybe four other cycles. And um, But what happened is we did the first two cycles and then at the end of that, it really broke me. I was like, because everyone tells you you're going to get pregnant that very first time that you do IVF. Um, it really broke me and we took some time out, probably about a year or so. And during that time, all my friends in Townsville were getting pregnant. So we basically up sticks and we moved to Melbourne to get away from everyone with babies. Um, so we came down here, we kind of looked at the IVF stuff again and went, it's not for us. We're going to go and do the permanent care and adoption stuff. So we did that and we got about nine months into that journey. They rang us and said, we're going to fast track you. And I was like, great, we're going to call you in a week's time with some updates. And the day after they said that, I fell pregnant naturally. And I was like, holy crap, that's amazing. This is so good. Rang them back and said, I'm pregnant. And they said, okay, well, congratulations. We'll take you off the program. And we held that pregnancy for three weeks until we lost it. Um, so that was at eight weeks. So we rang them again and said, hey, we've lost it. Can we go back to where we were? And they said, not only can you not go back to where you are in that program, you have to now take six months out because you've allowed yourself to get pregnant. So you have to take six months and then go right back to the beginning of the nine months again. Goodness, that's tough. That's, wow. I didn't know how tough yeah, it was. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a planned pregnancy. It just happened out of the blue. And we'd already had like three rounds of IVF. So why would I get pregnant? you know naturally but anyway so kind of looked at that and went that's not feasible let's go back and try IVF one more time and see what happens so we did with um we decided to go with Dr Hale at Melbourne IVF because we were like well you're the medical clinical director if anyone's going to be able to do it it's you he put us through a cycle and 
we've got something like eight or nine eggs. And then by day two, I get a phone call going, Kim, they're literally crumbling. You need to come in now because we've only got two left. Um, by the next day, Dr. Howe sat there and went, sat me down and went, Kim, we're going to put these in, but they've got less than 5%. They're class four fragmentation. At class five, we destroy. And I said, I think I shocked him because I kind of said, so does that mean that my eggs are cactus? Is that why this isn't happening? And he kind of went, how are you going to take it if I say yes? And I said, I'm going to jump up and down with joy because I'm, at, I'm having my transfer at this stage. And he's like, most people aren't happy to have such bad eggs. And I'm like, but you're giving me the reason why it's not working. We're good. We'll just find a donor. It's great. We'll go to donor. So anyway, didn't work, obviously. So we went to donor and I joined EDA and what an amazing supportive network that group is. Um, and we came along and met our beautiful um, egg donor, Tegan, who is absolutely amazing. Um, however, through the process, and it's really funny because I went to the surrogacy conference afterwards, and during that, you guys talk about red flags. And although we are, and now we are such good friends, um, at the time, there were a few things that came up as red flags, but because she was giving me something that I so desperately wanted, um, I didn't feel like I had the power to say no at any stage. And there was a few things she did or asked for, and I have bipolar too, and it, I had a, a lapse, and um, I basically did some minor self-harm, which isn't a major thing, but it happened. And then I went to my site for some support, and she actually wrote a letter to the IVF clinic before going on holidays for three weeks saying, she, it was major self-harm, that it was something that um, she felt I was a risk to myself and to any future baby coming into the process. So Melbourne IVF had to cancel the cycle. So no fault to, to Tegan, she's beautiful. Um, but they cancelled it. So I kind of went, well, this is crap. And I said, fine, I'm going to Greece. Will you prep me if I go to Greece? Like, and I mean, because we'd already started taking drugs. We flew to Greece and we did an egg donation cycle. What a great place Santorini is to rest and recuperate for two weeks. Um, however, so tell, me, tell me a bit more about the, um, the egg donation process in Greece, because I understand that you can access egg donors, but how does that all work? For us, it was a really weird scenario. I basically wrote to a clinic, said, this is my scenario. I want to be there in two weeks. Can you get someone prepped and ready? And they were like, yes. I didn't get any information about the donor. It was very, very, very anonymous. They basically said she has brown hair, brown eyes, and tan skin. Are you happy? And I was just desperate at that stage. And I said, yep, good, go. She's healthy, we'll go. And that's what we did. And looking back, it's not, a, it's not great. And making those decisions under desperation is never a good time to make those decisions. But you do do it because that's just what this journey throws up at you. And you try and... Tread water even when you feel like you're drowning. You just keep treading until you can't tread anymore. So anyway, we went over. It didn't work. Came back and um, I was on the phone to my friend crying. And um, she's got five kids, I think. And she turned around and said, babe, I'll be your surrogate. I'll do it for you. It's fine. And I went, holy crap, where did that come from? I haven't even seen you in the last three years. This is a random phone call out of the middle of nowhere. She goes, I knew you when you started this. I can have kids without thinking, I'll do this for you. And I was like, oh, great, okay, so I need an egg donor. And I approached someone that I knew. She originally said yes, and then a few days later she said no, which I totally understood. And um, But what it was is she was through a different clinic. So basically 
her her clinic rang me instead of her ringing me and said, look, she can't go through with it now. Is this okay? We've actually got some donor embryos. Would you be willing to use them? And I said, holy crap. Yep, you brought me straight to the top of the pile. We'll use them. We're good. We're good. We'll do it. But they said, you can't do it through surrogacy. You've got to use your own. I said, okay, we'll try it. We've never tried this. We do have um, male infertility factors as well. So maybe if it's neither of us, it'll work. So we did it again. Unfortunately, it didn't work again. And I kind of, it, it, it really broke me. And I just went, I really need to go to surrogacy. So I went to my um, fertility specialist at this stage. It was a um, uh, Monash. And he basically said, Kim, you haven't done enough cycles for us to determine you need a surrogate. And I said, Luke, I can't keep doing this. I said, I've had a stroke. I've done two rounds of donor stuff now. I've done my own. It's already worked out that I don't have eggs. Like, dude. And he goes, oh, you still have one more embryo of donor. I think you need to use that. And I said, Luke, no, I'm going to surrogacy. And I said, you'll either help me do it in Australia or I'm going to go overseas to find it. And he said, it's up to you, but I'll, I'll support you once you do one more cycle. And I was just too broken. I was like, at that stage, someone had given me their precious embryo, which was the highest quality embryo. We've never been able to freeze an embryo before. It was the highest quality embryo I had ever had these two embryos. And it just felt like I was wasting it. Totally felt like I was wasting it and that my body was going to destroy it. So I kind of got in contact with, um, the, with Ukraine. And I was talking to Julia at New Hope. So New Hope is a much, much smaller agency. They only do about 25 cases at any one time compared to the larger agencies like Biotechs that do hundreds slash thousands of cases per year. And we were talking backwards and forwards and I was like, okay, she seems nice, but you know what? It's some random on the other side of the world. What am I going to do? We didn't even actually go and talk to any of the other agencies because the rapport that she built with me over line, like just with um, emails and stuff, made me feel very, very safe. But we're quite independent travellers as a whole. So when we got to the Ukraine, they normally say, we'll come and pick you up at the airport and we'll do this for you and we'll do that for you. And we kind of went, it's fine. We want to be really independent, really impartial because, you know, we want to see you for what you are, not for all the bells and whistles that go on around you. So we did, went to their clinic, met them. They were great. They're very small. It kind of reminded me of being in someone's bedroom, if that made sense, rather than a commercial office. Came home to Australia and full of hope and luck and, yay, we're going to be parents in nine months. Yeah, so I found out uh, yesterday because we paid our final bill yesterday and I am actually New Hope's longest ever client they have ever had, um, which is, you know, one of those things that you can be happy or sad about. But they got, their, they got us there in the end, I guess, which is the most important thing. So every egg donor and every surrogate is screened for you personally. It's not just done in bulk. It's actually done literally within 30 days. But anyway, we did all that. The first surrogate actually didn't pass her second round of screening, medical screening. So then we moved on to the second surrogate. And then with that one, that one passed, the egg donor passed, we're ready to go. Because of the, the um, male factor, we were going to do a fresh cycle. So the girls took a bit longer to sink. So that kind of pushed us down into the year. And then with that, two days in, the surrogate didn't react to the drugs and had a bleed. So she was out and we're like, it's fine. We're going ahead with the egg donation. We're going to make MBs. And all of a sudden, two days later, we get a phone call and I was traveling for work. So I got a phone call at something like midnight and it was like, Kim, I'm really sorry, but the egg donor is now showing signs of cervical cancer. So we've canceled her cycle. And she'd only been screened like 30 days before. 
and we were like, oh, crap. So anyway, my agent's like, it's okay. She's a very well-known egg donor. We're going to um, regroup, see who we can get for you as quickly as possible. And strangely enough, they happened to find someone really, really quickly. And I kind of said, look, as long as they've got like kind of brown hair, brown eyes-ish, you know, somewhere in there, I actually don't mind. As long as they're healthy and fit, looks isn't overly important to me. So I left it in my agent's hands completely and kind of said, you know, find whoever you can find that you trust and you believe in. So she went and found one of her girls that she's used before and she liked and had good results with. So she gave us uh, six eggs, but they'd also, the egg donor that had shown the signs of cervical cancer had like four eggs on ice, I think. The, and I don't know how or why, but they were given to us as well because of what had happened. So out of that, we ended up creating, I think it was four embryos. So anyway... While this was all happening, I also got a phone call from um, Monash RVF going, that one donor embryo that you've got, which was almost always my little hope in the background, um, it's coming up to whatever its five-year thing is and the donors don't want to renew the free cycle. And I said, but we own it now, don't we? And they said, it doesn't work like that by law. It's allocated to you, but it's not yours until it's in your body. And I was like, crap. So then I put a really heartfelt post on the Australian surrogacy site because so many people have been so helpful. And I sort of said, what do I do, guys? Do I actually do my own cycle as well as cycling in Ukraine? Like, what do I do? Like, I don't want to destroy this embryo, but I don't want to put it in my body. And there was an overwhelming, you know, support and love of just saying, Kim, it's better than being destroyed. Whether it goes in your body and it doesn't make it or whether the clinic destroys it, at least you're giving it some kind of a chance. So then we got into the realm of running day for day, would you believe, a cycle in Ukraine with the surrogate and a cycle with me in Melbourne, day for day, which was pretty full on. You know, it's hard enough running your own cycle, let alone running yours and somebody else's. So anyway, I got up to day 12. I was struggling with building lining or whatever. She got up to day 11 and got tonsillitis and was cancelled. So her cycle got canned again. And we're sitting there going, okay, did my cycle. And it was... Um, negative yet again and let me tell you that's probably the most soul-destroying cycle that I've ever had because you were just like I knew it wasn't gonna work I knew I had to give you a chance but yet my body has let me down again and now only once I feel this broken will an Australian clinic say that I'm justified to try and even apply for surrogacy like that that to me is breaking a woman down too much like you just shouldn't have to break them to that degree and so anyway, then we lined back up and we did a cycle in Ukraine with our surrogate and she got pregnant in December of 2017. And then we were all excited. We you know, did the little champagne and little connies and all the thing and took photos. And at her six weeks again, there was no heartbeat. So that was another miscarriage and that was a really odd experience to go through because I thought that I was all good with the donor stuff, but that moment when we found out we were pregnant, I was excited, but in the back of my head, even though I've had more counselling than I can even tell you, I was going, my husband's just had a threesome. He's literally created a baby with an egg donor and a surrogate and I'm not even involved. And so when that pregnancy failed, I carried around a lot of guilt because I was like, I should have just been grateful that we got pregnant. After all this time, I should have just been grateful. So anyway, we lined back up for, I think it was like a late... January cycle with the surrogate again in Ukraine. The day before her cycle, she breaks her leg and the cycle's cancelled yet again. Yeah, we're, we've had the worst luck through that the whole thing. I, I don't think I know anyone that's had worse luck. That's incredible that you're still going. Well, strangely enough, 
um, we ended up doing, we ended up deciding that what we were going to do is contract two, like, so once she's broken her leg, she's out of the program now. There's nothing we can do. We can't support her. We can't, she's out. So I said to my agent, Look, what I want to do is I want to, I'm over this waiting because it's good 12 months, close to 12 months since we signed with Ukraine. And I said, I'm over the waiting. What I want to do is contract two surrogates. And basically whoever doesn't get pregnant will pay the money to say thank you very much for waiting and trying, but the other one will follow through with the pregnancy. So we had those couple of um, embryos left. So we did a cycle with the first surrogate and she didn't get pregnant. And then we had two left and they weren't, they were still day five blasties, but they weren't terribly great quality. They were sort of iffy. And my agent said, look, do you want to do a double embryo cycle? And I very distinctly remember talking to Renee at the surrogacy conference and she said, Kim, just don't do it. It's bad. Just don't do it. So I really took on board, although we didn't do it in Australia, the information and knowledge that I've gained from that community has helped us make some really um, hard, but really solid decisions as well. I know that sounds weird, but it, we've come up with some pretty solid things from there. So I said to her, no, she goes, well, do you want to just do one because you know she might not be happy if she knows the quality is really bad i said we we talked about it with glenn and i so we decided to do another egg donation cycle so we got another egg donor in so by this stage we're up to egg donor three in the ukraine and four counting greece um and we're up to um surrogate number uh three four at this stage we're up to surrogate number four so basically we did the egg donation cycle and at this stage, I was completely broken. I actually, um, I think the best piece of advice I can give to anyone who is feeling as broken as what I was at that stage is I made an appointment with Melbourne IVF, um, sort of like counsellor, and I knew that it was a woman that I was never going to see ever again. And I actually said things to her that were weighing me down, but as an IP and as a partner, you shouldn't actually really say those things to anyone that, you know, because there are some things that when they're out, you can't take back, but you just sometimes need to get them out. And I basically went in there and I just went bleh, all over her and kind of went, I'm not coping. I hate these people. I can't believe everything's going wrong. It's just crap. I can't do this anymore. And she, she gave me some brilliant advice, which is, does your husband want this baby as much as you? And I said, I don't know. Sometimes I think yes. Sometimes I think no. I don't know. She said, well, if he does, you need to go home and tell him you're done. You can't organise this anymore. And if he wants to, he needs to step up and take the reins. And you need to just step back and just take yourself out of the picture for a while. So you know what? I came home, had that really hard conversation with Hubby. And he said, babe, I'm not ready to give up. I am really on board. I want this as much as you. Let me take the reins. And I'd never let him, I'd never given him that opportunity because women are so good at organising things and making sure things happen that the men just trail along. And you know what? He took over. And him and my agent, they picked a new egg donor. They picked the next surrogate. I had nothing to do with that. I had totally checked out. I was like, this is never going to happen. I'm going to work on my charity stuff. And if it happens, great, whatever. But it's not happening. I was checking out. And we did that. And I said, I don't actually want to know anything about the egg donor, anything about the surrogate until we have a heartbeat. Then I'll link reinvest because I just, I, I haven't got anything left. And um, one day he comes back to me and goes, babe, we've done a cycle and we have a heartbeat and I was like what the hell and um, he said look we created nine embryos you know um, we picked the strongest one they did actually ask us I, I kind of knew they were cycling because they we got a message saying do you want to um, implant a boy or a girl and I kind of went Glenn and I looked at each other and said we don't care just 
whoever is the strongest embryo we put in. And then I left it back to him. And then he said, we've done a transfer. There's a heartbeat. There's a positive. And I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And then um, two days later, we I get a text message from the agent because I thanked her, messaged her, thanked her. And she said, Kim, I've got some bad news. She's just been rushed to hospital with a big bleed in an ambulance to her local hospital. So she lives five hours away from Kiev, which is the capital city. And I kind of went, right. And... I'm really sorry to tell you, but when they've done the scan, they can't find a sac and there's no heartbeat. And I went, right. And she said, but you know what? Your surrogate's crying. And I told them, too bad, give her the needle to stop her bleeding and put her on the overnight train to key. But they did. They take her into Adonis, which I told you is the most amazing hospital in the world. And our specialist does a scan. There's not only a sac, there's a heartbeat. And now we have Valia. And Daria is, what, 37 weeks pregnant. That's incredible. After yeah, all that you've yeah. been through. So in the next few weeks, you're going to become a mum, finally. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's um, a bit mind-blowing, actually. Yeah, well, my mind is blown. It's incredible. Tell me about your, your surrogate. Because you, you had quite a special relationship with her. Tell me how you forged that over Skype and email. Yes. For me, although this is a commercial agreement and the reason commercial works really well for me is because there's no power indifference. Whether there is an actual power indifference or whether there's a perceived power indifference between the IPs and the surrogates, with my bipolar, I knew after the egg donation cycle here in Australia, that wasn't going to work for me. I needed that middle party to be able to have those hard conversations that I just didn't feel like I could do. So although it was a commercial agreement, I'd seen all these amazing relationships being built on the Australian surrogacy community site. And I thought, you know what, just because I'm paying for this, this is my choice. I need to build that relationship. If that's what I want, I need to work hard to build it. So we met on Skype um, after her six-week um, scan and there was a heartbeat and we were all good and everything was lovely. And she does speak English, which probably made things a little bit easier. Her spoken English is a bit limited, but her written English is incredible. So, you know, 90% great. So I said, look, would you mind if I talk to you via Fiverr, blah, blah, blah. So we did. And, you know, it's difficult because you're talking to someone who's carrying your baby. They don't know you. You don't know them, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I kind of messaged her and I said, look, you know, I don't know how you feel about all of this, but number one, would you like to know whether it's a girl or boy that you're carrying? And she said, oh, I kind of, I kind of feel like it's a, it's a boy. And I said, actually, it's a girl. And um, we've nicknamed her Brookie. So anyway, the next message comes back, goes, oh, my God, I am Brookie's babysitter. This is so cool. I have a Brookie. And I was like, oh, that's so heartwarming. And then I said, look, just so you know, like for us, what you're doing is incredible. I don't care whether we're paying you or not. But what you're doing for us is incredible and something that we're forever grateful for. We want Bookie to know all about you and your family. Whether you want to be in our lives long term or whether it's just short term, you are never going to be a dirty secret in our family. You know, we're creating this book. It's going to be by her bed and it's going to tell the story of who you are, what you've done. And she goes, oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, and I said, look, do you have any photos that you could possibly send us that you know, about you and your family and blah, blah, blah. So that's how it kind of started. It broke the ice because I think she realised she wasn't going to be that dirty secret, which is a bit funny because on the flip side of that, her pregnancy in Ukraine is a secret. So she's only told three friends and she actually didn't announce to her parents until she was 20 weeks pregnant at her birthday. 
So she just rocked up and she had a tummy and went, by the way, I'm doing surrogacy for someone in Australia, um, which was quite overwhelming. And I felt a bit guilty about that. But I said to her, just tell your parents that we're so grateful. And if they ever want contact with Bookie, they can. Like, just get in contact and we'll send you photos. We'll send you videos. We're really open about all of this. So she did. And her parents actually um, took it on board and appreciated the fact that we were reaching out going, you know, you can have access to this child. So over time, we've talked about things. It started off just about Brookie, but then, you know, she's an architect. So, you know, we were talking about house renovations when I've been doing house renovations. When I was in Timor with my dental charity, she did a watercolour class and she showed me a painting and I said, oh, don't suppose you want to do some free artwork for my charity? And she's like, of course, what do you need? So she was doing stuff for me. Um, and then, you know, the thing that warmed my heart, you know, she's been sending me bumpy pics the entire way through. She started sending videos of when the kicks were happening. But the thing that warmed my heart the most was there's this one particular video. And for me, maybe I'm a bit blind. I, I can see the kicks, but the thing that warms my heart is she's lying in bed. She's got both of her hands on her tummy over a nightie and it's pulling it really tight. And her husband is obviously over the top taking the little video, but her two-year-old daughter is there pointing and making, saying something in Ukrainian to show us where the kicks are. So it was a real, from my family to your family, we're sharing Brookie. And that's, that's just how we are. And look, I know from my support group that we started for Ukraine, not everybody gets that because not everybody's English is like that. Some agencies don't, you know, want you to have those kind of relationships, but some agencies do allow you to have those relationships. And I think there's no right and wrong relationship to have, but if that's something that you want, you've got to work really hard at it. And, you know, you've got to try and get through those language barriers. And, you know, there's been some very strange text messages come through and, you know, where things have been completely lost in translation, but you kind of have to just see through that and get past that. And, you know, I love the fact I was talking to her the other day and she said, oh, Kim, I'm really worried my spoken English isn't going to be good enough when I see you. And I said, we'll both have our phones. We'll text message each other. It's fine. And she's like, that's great. And then she said, oh, look, my husband went out and bought his favourite board game. And I said, so when you come, we can all, while we're waiting for Brookie to arrive, we'll sit and play the board game. But what he's done is he's downloaded all the instructions in English as well as Ukrainian. So we have this common ground to be able to play a board game and interact with no, so that's pretty cool. Um, the other thing is, I think, you know, it's just breaking down the barriers. Like, I actually asked her and I said, at the birth, what do you want? Like, what, what's your dream birth? And she said, oh, well, they'll cut the cord and I'll give the baby straight to you. And I said, okay, if that's what you want, that's perfectly fine. But I've been following along on the Australian site and that's normally not what happens. This is what happens. You know, normally, you know, baby goes on to you. You do the delayed cord clamping for a lot of times. And she said, oh, yes, yes, I believe in that. And I said, okay, so we'll, we'll ask for that because that's not normal. Um, and I said, well, do you want to hold Bookie during that time for the cuddle? And she said, oh, I need to think about that. And it took her a week. And she came back and she said, I think if you're okay with that, I would like that. She goes, but don't you want to be that first moment? And I said, babe, you know, yes, skin on skin time will be important, but you have carried this baby for nine months and you know i think your body and your hormones need to know that you have given birth to a very healthy beautiful baby and then it's your decision to give her to us you know together as a couple not a doctor just cutting and taking something from you because it, it is it's commercial but it's it's so much more than that now so it is a friend doing this for someone else and i want her to see my face and i want her to see my husband's face and 
he can't be in the room because of cultural differences and it's, you know, not his wife and stuff, which is fine. And he's not good with the messy stuff, so it's probably even better. But, you know, I, I want her to have that moment with Brookie so her body knows and understands. And I want her to see the joy on mine and Glenn's face when she hands that baby over because you know, why shouldn't she? Why does it have to be different? Because we're doing, you know, why does that journey need to look so much different because we're doing commercial? It, I don't think it needs to be. If you work hard enough at it, I think you can push the boundaries. Like, not that I have told anyone, but I'll tell you right now, we've actually pushed the boundaries and we're one of the very first couples to get a birthing photographer into the labour room. So I'm really stoked about that because, you know, that's what would happen is if we were in Australia. So we're just pushing the boundaries. It's amazing. And I, I really admire your tenacity to say we're going to do it our way and not just follow the way things have always been done. It's, let's make it your, your pregnancy, your birth, your surrogate, your baby. That's amazing. Yeah. I have one last amazing thing that I can't wait to do for her is when she's born. Obviously, she knows her first name's Brooke. She knows her last name's um, Hindmarsh. But we're actually going to give her Valia's name, which is Valentina, as her middle name because Valia just means so much to us and she really has become family to us. And um, I think she'll be really stoked to know that Brookie takes a piece of her with her. As well. That's beautiful. If you were giving advice to intended parents that were just starting out in, in surrogacy, what would your advice be? Uh, obviously, I can't talk about local surrogacy, um, but international surrogacy, what I would say is research, research, research. <laughs> um, ask people that have been there and done that. But in saying that, I do want to just say that Ukraine. So we have, uh, as you know, Sarah, we've got a support group for Ukraine. And I did that because I put a post out on the Australian group and said, who's going to Ukraine? And nobody replied. So I set up a Facebook group and slowly over the last sort of 18 months, two years, we're up to about 550 people now. So Ukraine is pumping out close to 2,000, 2,500 babies a year. Um, and we've, we've got 10 countries represented on our on our Facebook support group. And there's literally babies being born every couple of weeks without fail. But in saying that, I think the biggest thing I would say to people is, although people will private message you and go, I'll give you all this information and I'll help you and I'll be your best friend. Some of them are polite vultures because in Ukraine, some of the agencies pay very high fees for referral of friends. So when they say referral of friends, I'm talking about it starts at like 2,000 euros for a referral, but it goes anywhere up to 8,000 euros. And all they have to do for this money is to take your name and give it to the agency. They don't even have to like hand walk you in. They just have to say, I've spoken to this person, they're going to be in touch. But what that has happened, we found recently, like just in the last week or two on the group, is there have been some people in the group and it's very hard to work out who they are to protect people that they've taken newbies' names and they've gone and given it to some of the large clinics. So when the newbie has gone directly to the clinic, the clinic's gone, I'm sorry, you've already been referred, you need to go through this person. So it's actually stopping them going directly to the clinics, which irritates me no end. I do understand why IPs want to get referral fees. It's a lot of money and this journey is expensive. And the thing is they'll either get money or they'll get discounted um, journeys. So their hospital stay might be discounted significantly or, you know, their legal fee will be discounted. Um, 
there is one person that I have been told of today that's not in Australia, but she's with one of the big clinics, Biotechs, um, that uh, she actually had a free um, sibling journey because of all the referrals that she has sent in. Goodness me. And look, we hear about um, what we might call consultants or brokers. I, it never occurred to me that other intended parents would, would do that to each other. I find it, uh, the only word for me is a vulture because these newbies are, you're vulnerable. You're desperate and you're vulnerable. And these people come online and they befriend you. And they do. They give you some amazing advice. And then they go, we'll take you to our agency. And those people are like, oh, I'm trusting them. I'm liking them. And, you know, they're helping me. And you know what? They do help you. It's not like they're not giving you good, valid information. They, they are. But the problem is, is that you're trusting in them. And then all of a sudden they're getting this huge kickback that they may or may not tell you about. Some of them mm. do. And, I prefer the people that disclose up front and say, look, I'm going to get a referral fee for this. And if the person still wants to go ahead, then that's great. That's fine because it's all open. It's the ones that do it underhandedly that really um, drive me insane. I, I hate that more than I can ever say because, like I said, people are vulnerable and, and they're new and they just desperately want a baby. Mm. That's, yeah, that's really troubling. So your advice then, I guess, would be for people to watch out for that. Is there anything they can do to avoid that sort of behaviour? Yeah, my biggest advice these days is when people come to you and go, oh, I'll refer you to a clinic, is just have a stock standard answer of, oh, hey, I've actually just done my, a bit of my own research. I've actually emailed all the agencies directly with some questions. Is that going to affect your referral fee? Because it does, and it basically wipes them out. So those people just sort of pitter off them because then you're not worth any money to them which kind of shows you the true people that are more than happy to help you and some people that are just in there for the money. Mm, that's great so advice. So that would be my advice. Like, just tell them that you've already talk, spoken to the agency and the agency's got your name and, yeah, it, 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 it'll stop it. So uh, you're off to the Ukraine next week to meet your new baby. Um, how are you feeling in these last weeks? Surprisingly, delusionally calm. <laughs> um, it was... Sarah, it was amazing. I went and got my hair done on Friday and basically my hairdresser has a five-month-old baby and she goes, do you want a, do you want a, a cuddle? And I kind of went, um, can I break her? And she's like, no, you're fine. So she gave me to her and she grabbed my finger and two things occurred to me. The first thing was, is, holy crap, this is the first baby I've held in about four years because I have literally isolated myself from everyone with babies because it was just too hard and didn't want people with young kids around me, even friends, I just stopped contacting, following them on Facebook. I, I would talk to them, but when it started baby talk, I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. I was broken. And the second thing is that she grabbed my finger and just on that first joint, her whole four fingers was only as big as my first joint. And I'm like, holy crap, you're five months old. How small is Brookie going to be? Then she shoved her finger in my in her mouth and started chewing along because she was teething and I was just... It, it spun me out. I was just like, holy crap, I'm going to have one of these finally after eight years in three weeks' time. Holy you are. crap. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Thank I mean, you for chatting with me. I am so excited to, for what's coming in the next few weeks, but also to hear about how it's gone. Um, so, yeah, congratulations and good luck. Thank you so much. And thank you for letting us share our story about Ukraine with you. Because, you know what, as, as a country, it's, it's such a great country. And, you know, 
you do get to do a lot of touristy things over there when you get to go and do your visits as well. And they've got some amazing things to go and see and old buildings and stuff. But the people are beautiful. The country's gorgeous. And the medical facilities are fantastic. So, you know, if you're thinking about Ukraine, definitely have a thing. It's, it's a good option. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.